Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bat crazy. Ah! You're the pop. It's alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! We're here with Jennifer Skeen. She is an environmental law fellow in the NRDC's international program working with indigenous peoples in Canada to protect vital forests. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming and speaking to us. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, basically, I just want to start out with what is the NRDC and what is your role there? Yeah, the Natural Resources Defense Council, uh, or NRDC, is an international nonprofit environmental organization. It has offices across the United States and also in Beijing and a team in India. And our team of lawyers, policy experts, and scientists, uh, our mission is to protect the natural environment and the health of communities around the world. I work with the Canada Project, which focuses on protecting um, the natural world north of the U.S. border. Um, We're particularly focused on protecting the boreal forest of Canada, which if you've never heard of it, basically it's this uh, Christmas time landscape, kind of like you would see on a postcard um, in December. It has beautiful evergreen trees, birch trees, um, even has reindeer, which here in North America we call caribou. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also home to hundreds of indigenous communities who have relied on the land for millennia. So, um, yeah, our our mission with the Canada Project is to protect this really vital forest, which is also uh, really crucial to yep. stopping the worst impacts of climate change. That's great. That's super important. So um, the UN recently released this sweeping report on biodiversity and our fragile ecosystems. This report is basically the first comprehensive look we've had in 15 years at the state of the plant's biodiversity. Um, And so basically, what were some of the most striking findings? And is there anything in this report that, you know, experts didn't know before? Yeah, this report uh, was really, really alarming. Uh, It warns that we're destroying the natural systems we depend on for our very survival. Um, It says that, you know, there are as many as a million plant and animal species facing extinction, and that because of this, we're unraveling the very fabric of life on our planet. Um, We could face really tremendous human suffering around the world if we don't immediately reverse these impacts. Um, In terms of actual statistics, it talks about how over a third of marine mammals and a third of sharks are threatened with extinction. We've lost a third of our planet's forest cover. Um, 33% of fish stocks are overfished, 60% are fished at the edge of sustainability. I mean, the list goes on and on about um, basically every every type of ecosystem on our planet is being impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Jennifer, you know, when people get really animated about climate change, we're usually they're usually talking about kind of these really dramatic atmospheric changes that we expect will make our world less habitable. You know, the types of really dramatic things you see in, in, you know, apocalyptic movies, things like rising temperatures and rising sea levels. This report focuses more on biodiversity specifically, things like deforestation, how plant life, how losing plant light will impact our species. So I'm curious if you could kind of elaborate on how will loss of animal and natural life impact humans in the future? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, this bio, bio, bio sorry, can I yeah, start that Yeah, of course. Up? Yeah, so um, great. You, can start, you can start from the beginning. Perfect. 
Yeah, so our biodiversity crisis is every bit as threatening to life on our planet and humanity as climate change. Um, if trends keep going the way we're going, we should we could see the disappearance of species and natural systems that support, um, like forests that regulate the climate and that provide our breathable air, uh, pollinators that we rely on for our agriculture, fish, um, our healthy soils, fresh water um, that we rely on. Uh, you know, at every level, we depend on our systems being intact and functioning as they have over the past tens of thousands of years. And this report paints a really stark picture of what the future could hold if uh, basically these systems start to break down. So basically everything is going to shit, <laughs> is what they're saying with that. It's not, it's not looking good. Not looking good unless we unless we take the action yeah. that is required. Yes. So that is the the other the diplomatic way to put support. it. Yeah. The it's the the part of the report that I really like to focus on is the solutions that it offers yeah. because you know it says that things are pretty bleak, but you know we're not over the cliff yet. There mm -hmm. is still time to stop this really devastating outcome. Um, so that's really what I like to focus on. Yeah. You know we. We are the last generation that can protect life on our planet as we know it, um, but there's still time. Wow, that's a great soundbite. Um, so you wrote about the report's overview of deforestation, and in it you wrote that the two crises of climate change and biodiversity loss go hand in glove. Can you explain this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis are two different problems, but they're inextricably linked. So the climate crisis is, of course, um, one of the threats to biodiversity, and it was listed in the report as one of the top causes for what's happening to ecosystems. Um, if we don't get our emissions under control, our ecosystems are going to suffer. But there's also a flip side. So biodiversity is actually essential to avoiding the worst impacts of climate change, since forests, um, oceans, and other ecosystems are really, really essential to storing and also absorbing carbon. Mm -hmm. um, the great news is that you know while these are two somewhat separate problems, and it can be really overwhelming to think about both of them, we're not trying to fight a war on two fronts. Many of the solutions to one are solutions to the other. So for example, Protecting intact areas makes them more resilient to impacts of climate change. And protecting these areas also helps reduce climate change because it keeps all that carbon locked up and ensures that these ecosystems can keep, you know, sucking that carbon out of the atmosphere mm -hmm. and mitigate the worst impacts. Yeah, well, we I feel like we've always like kind of learned that, you know, growing up that forests are kind of like the Earth's lungs, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, Jennifer, I guess sort of we want to talk about sort of specifically what we're losing and at what rate. So, you know, how quickly are we losing the Earth's forests to deforestation? How quickly are we rebuilding them if those efforts do exist? And what do those efforts look like? So the report outlines how in the last 200 years, we've lost a third of our planet's forest cover. Um, between 1990 and 2015, we cleared or harvested 716 million acres of native forests, which is four times the size wow. of Texas, yeah, wow. which is mind boggling to think about. Yeah. And, you know, there is replantation happening, but there are two things on that. The first one is it's not happening fast enough. You know, forests are not regrowing at a rate that can make up for um, what we're doing to them. Um, 
the second is, you know, even when forests do start to regrow and come back, they're not as rich as they were before they were logged. So especially in the boreal forest, trees grow really slowly. It can take hundreds of years for, for trees and, and the ecosystems around them to reach the same richness and biodiversity that they once had. So when you log an area of boreal forest, you know, even decades later, species like boreal caribou don't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even where there are these kind of replantation efforts, they're, they're not doing the job. Mm. Yeah. Are there are there certain countries that are like bigger offenders or, you know, or, or who are doing who should be doing more to stop this? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of the tropical countries, there's a lot of uh, deforestation happening there, especially for things like palm oil, Mm. cattle, grazing. Um, The one that I work on the most, obviously, is Canada, which tends to get kind of a free pass because it has this image as such a sustainable leader. Um, But a lot of people don't know that every single year, a million acres of forest in Canada are logged. Um, and that doesn't even count the impacts to forests from things like tar sands development and mining. So there's a huge, huge crisis hap- happening in Canada um, that a lot of people, you know, even just south of the border don't know about. Oh, OK. Wow. I didn't. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, so you also worked on another report specifically that examined the environmental impact of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about that and like what you were looking at and what the results were? Yeah, so this report um, touches on what I was just talking about, where we're having this this crisis in the boreal forests of Canada. Earlier this year, we released a report called The Issue with Tissue, which finds that U.S. consumption of toilet paper is driving degradation of the Canadian boreal. So... Uh, Here's a really shocking statistic. Mm-hmm. Americans consume uh, per capita about three rolls of toilet paper every single week, which is more than any other country in the world. Wow. Uh, and what's really shocking is that none of the major toilet paper brands in the United States contain any recycled materials. They're made entirely from trees. And a lot of these trees are coming from the boreal forest. Um this is obviously hugely wasteful. It's what we call the tree to toilet pipeline. So we're basically, you know, ripping these trees out of the ground, turning them into toilet paper, and then flushing them down our toilets. And that's what the report talked about. What a good excuse to get a bodet. <laughs> I know, right? Now I just like now I know why I need to get one. Yeah, it's not an indulgence. <laughs> Do it for the planet. So bidet, bidets are are awesome. Um, highly recommend. But there are also, you know, ways of still using toilet paper that don't come at the cost of the forest. Okay. So um, you can get recycled toilet paper, for example, that's already on the shelves. There's brands like Seventh Generation, um, Three Sixty Five from Whole Foods, who gives a crap, um, which is, uh, mm. you know, building mm. on one of the many toilet puns that <laughs> yeah. come with the territory. And what these um, brands show is that solutions already exist for people to turn to and, you know, continue to use the toilet paper, but not at such a devastating cost. Are there are there brands that we should be avoiding? Yes, um, there are a number and it's usually the biggest brands, um, you know, the ones that most people know about. So brands like Charmin, Cottonelle, Angelsoft, all of these brands are made entirely from virgin forest fiber. So they haven't included any recycled material, no alternative fibers. Um, they're, they're 
basically being taken straight from from forests like the boreal and converted into toilet paper. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, toilet paper is something we use every day, probably. Um, and I'm sure there are other sort of tasks and things we do day to day that impact biodiversity that we take for granted. Um, what are some other things that people do day to day that are having the greatest impact? There are so many. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard to know where to start. Obviously, toilet paper, other tissue products like paper towels, um, facial tissue also have the same problem of coming from the boreal forest. Things like what food you're choosing. Um, NRDC has a great guide, you know, for when you buy tuna, what tuna mm. is coming at the cost of, of sustainable, um, you know, healthy fish stocks. Um, things like what clothing you buy. Uh, clothing is made from different materials, some of which comes at the cost of forests or, you know, relies on, on bag agricultural practices. Um, Fossil fuels are obviously a huge one. Um, you know, are you trying to find more sustainable uh, car alternatives, maybe driving a little bit less, taking public transportation? So every step of uh, a person's day involves these choices that we make that uh, can have a huge impact when added up and can also push companies like um, Procter & Gamble, which owns uh, the toilet paper brand Charmin, to start to do better. So if people start to buy these more sustainable alternatives, it's going to show these companies that they need to make the switch to things like recycled toilet paper. Hey, Betcha Sub listeners, it's Elise here. And Brian. And we just wanted to let you know that we will be in Los Angeles for RuPaul's DragCon doing a live episode of this very podcast. Yeah, it's on... Saturday, May 25th at 4 p.m. at the Los Angeles Convention Center in downtown L.A. And Brian, do you want to tell them who our guest is going to be? Oh, my God. <gasps> it is the one and only winner of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, Trinity the Tuck Taylor. I don't want to co-opt uh, LGBT language here, but I am gagged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <crrr. laughs> <laughs> yes, honey. Okay. okay Stop. Sorry. I'm not going to do that again. So you can get your tickets for that show uh, at betches.co slash dragcon ticks. And then if you use the promo code betches, you'll get 10% off. You can buy single day tickets. You can buy a ticket for the whole weekend. Mm -hmm. RuPaul's going to be there. Yeah. A bunch of your favorite queens from Drag Race are going to be performing. Yeah. It's going to be so much fucking fun. And we're going to be there. Yeah. And we're going to be there. And then it doesn't stop there. We're having a happy hour. Yes. We are having a happy hour. At Pattern Bar mm -hmm. in downtown LA. It's that same day at 730 to 930. And if you, you the tickets are only $10. And when you walk in, you get a glass of champagne and then you enjoy happy hour prices for that whole time. Wow. And you can RSVP to that at Betches.co slash SUP Happy Hour LA. That's Betches.co slash SUP Happy Hour LA. LA people, show us a good time. And if you're a New York friend, don't forget to buy your tickets to our live show in New York City at Caroline's. That is May 22nd at 7 p.m. here in New York. And you can get tickets to that at Betches.co slash Caroline's. Great. And Chris is on that show. Yeah. So Fat you'll Carrie see Fat Carrie Bradshaw yeah. perform and Michelle Collins. Yeah. So if you're in New York, see that. If you're in LA, see us at DragCon. Get those ticks. Get those ticks. So are there any sort of legal strategies that you're working on or are in place to help preserve these natural resources? Well, here in the United States, we have um, a really incredible 
piece of legislation called the Endangered Species Act, which for since the 1970s has gone a long way toward bringing back a lot of species that are, are were on the brink of extinction. Unfortunately, right now, um, with the Trump administration, uh, a lot of our key legislation, a lot of our key protections, especially, you know, national parks, uh, wildlife refuges are at risk. And NRDC, you know, since the day he stepped into office has been suing him nonstop mm -hmm. to get him to, uh, you know, to, to stop these really egregious actions that, that are the bedrock of our environmental protections. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned President Trump, and obviously we have in this country an election coming up. More recently, a lot of the Democratic candidates have begun to sort of um, reveal their sort of climate change strategies and how they plan to address it. I'm wondering if you've had a chance to sort of look over these or, you know, more broadly, what do you hope to see reflected in some of these in some of these plans and promises? I think a really great model and a lot of the Democratic candidates supported is the Green New Deal, which mm -hmm. was um, released just a couple of months ago. And what's really fantastic about the Green New Deal is it touches on the issues of both climate change and economic inequality and mm -hmm. traces them to very much the same source um, and kind of the economic structures that that underlie our, our economy. Um, and and points to ways that we can fix both at the same time. So I really, it's its become a huge part of the conversation. And um, this is something that candidates really need to make a key part of their platform and, and something that the American public is really pushing for. Uh, climate change is becoming one of the top issues that voters are looking for candidates to take a strong stand on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in 2016, we barely saw them address their, their views on climate. And now it's really becoming forefront. Yeah, there are some candidates that are just building entire campaigns around climate change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really heartening to see because like you said, just a couple years ago, kind of the world and America had gone silent on this issue. Mm -hmm. And now it's very much coming back to the forefront, which is, you know, just in the nick of time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like it's made your job like a little bit easier because there's more, it, does, it seems like there's more political and public support of it? I think there's a lot more to work with now that politicians are more amenable to to hearing solutions. Um, you know, it, we still have a really difficult road to building these solutions and, and finding and charting ways forward. And, um, you know, it, like in my work in Canada, making people aware of the issues, uh, you know, like around their toilet paper, the impact that that's having. So there is still a long way to go, but certainly it's really, really heartening to see that this is becoming a much bigger part of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always curious when I talk to sort of experts, um, you know, this report was very, very revealing in a lot of ways, and it surprised a lot of people. You're obviously very knowledgeable on these issues and continuously educating yourself, but I am curious if there's anything in the report that surprised even you when you saw it. I wasn't completely surprised by anything. I mean, the numbers are all so devastating, and we've kind of been hearing murmurings of them for the last couple of decades in our science. Um, I mean, the stats about how, um, you know, 70, 75% of our land has been degraded, 40% of the marine environment and half of all streams in the world have been altered are just, when you, when you stop to think about that, you know, this is our, our home, we rely on it and uh, we're, we're completely, um, you know, altering the, the face and the way of life as we know it. Um, 
the loss of pollinators is something I've been learning a lot about lately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without, without these species, we're going to be completely out of food. Um, you know, so much for, for, you know, basically, you know, fine cuisine, like we know it, um, the degradation of, of fish stocks, you know, we're no longer going to be able to have sushi dinners if we kind of keep going the route that we're having. Um, so there's so many statistics in this report that are so alarming and, uh, you know, hopefully will spur people to start to take action to, um, do what they can on an individual level to avoid this future. Yeah. I mean, I think just using that example of sushi dinners, is a great way to just show people how real this is and how you are going to be affected, you know? Yeah, if, you're, if your date night's going to be impacted, hopefully <laughs> right. that's cause enough to start to take action. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes these sort of huge, really overwhelming, alarming numbers can be a little bit paralyzing at times for people and they don't really know how to act, but it can take something as small as hearing like, you know, a practical day-to-day. -day. I mean, I don't know if you're eating sushi every day, but like that's something that could disappear, I think is a real tangible, like really real sort of like punches you in the gut um, reference. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you take a, a, a picture, like there was one um, that's been circulating in the media the last week or so of a sea turtle that's washed up on shore with this fishing gear around its neck. Yeah. And it's, it's devastating. But you think about that all comes down to one person's decision to dispose of their fishing gear in that way. If that one individual had made a different choice, that sea turtle would still be alive. Yeah. And, you know, same goes for, for any kind of... Um, thing you don't dispose of well or, or any action that you take. It all comes down to what people are doing on an individual level. Yeah. And also that will push companies to start to incorporate these more sustainable alternatives into, um, you know, what they're developing. Yeah. So I feel like we, you, you sort of just touched upon it, but what, um, what can we do as like individuals to end deforestation and protect the planet's biodiversity? There are so many things you can do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, I'm really glad that you asked that because that's what we really need to focus on right now. Um, what the report calls for is what it terms transformative change. So, you know, just more generally, we all need to think about our relationship with nature and how we use and value natural resources and stop taking things for granted that, that we have for, for the past decades. Um, at an individual level, this means changes to how we buy clothing, um, what food we purchase, how we think about and use household products like toilet paper. Um, and what's really key to remember is that this transformative change makes a huge, dif huge difference, but it doesn't have to come at the expense of a high quality of life. And that's why I love the example of toilet paper, because there are sustainable alternatives out there that you can turn to. Um, you know, if you want to use a bidet, power to you, but you can, <laughs> you can still have your toilet paper and, and save the forest. Yeah, yeah great. Um, so where can our listeners find uh, more information about this and find you and the NRDC? Yeah, so you can go onto our website at nrdc.org. Um, we also have a Twitter uh, and an Instagram, Facebook page. So we're all over social media. Um, if you go on to nrdc.org's homepage right now, there's actually um, an action for you to take to call on Procter & Gamble to make the switch to recycled material for Charmin toilet paper. So definitely urge you all to, to go online and check that out. Great. Amazing. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So 
make sure you all check out the NRDC and all the great work that they're doing. Um, they're very important. They're a very important organization. Okay. Um, well, uh, until the end of democracy, I'm Brian Russell Smith. And I'm Amanda Duberman. And this has been the Betcha Sub Podcast. Betches.